Well, this morning, we are going to be looking at the story of the baptism of Jesus. And so what I need for you to do is, I need you to pull out your Bibles, and we're going to be looking in... um, we're going to be looking in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So put your fingers in all of this. There's only about three or four verses in each one. So we're going to look at all of them because they give us a little bit of an insight in each case. Um, in the book of Matthew... It's chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, John, consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Now, if you go to Mark. Chapter 1, excuse me, Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Now, if you look in Luke, Luke chapter, where is it? Three, verse 21 and 22. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And then finally in John. John chapter 3, where was it, I'm sorry, I didn't have this one marked, (laughs) is it one, forgive me, I didn't have this one marked in my Bible, it's chapter 1, okay. Chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, 
because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Um, I asked the kids how many of them had been baptized. I'm going to ask you the same thing. I don't want to put you on the spot. If you don't feel comfortable raising your hand, don't. But just for my own information, how many of you have been baptized? Okay. How many of you have been baptized more than once? Okay. How many times were you baptized? Twice? Wayne? How many? Sorry? Three. Three? Three. Twelve had their hand in the center? And two? Two? I was baptized four times. I was baptized as a baby. (laughs) I was baptized as a baby. And then when I was 16 years old, I got saved. And all of my friends attended a Baptist church right near my school. And so I started attending that. That was where all my friends went. And um, the little fat, short Baptist preacher told me, you need to be baptized, boy, if you got saved. So I went, okay. So he scheduled a baptism and We went down into the baptistry and I'm six foot two and this guy is probably five four. He's about five four by five four. And uh, he baptizes me by immersion because back then that's in that church. That's what they did. And then he started bringing me back up and he dropped me. So that was baptizing number two and three. And then about two or three years later, I uh, had met my wife, and I was uh, in relationship with my father-in-law, who was also my pastor. And uh, he was mentoring me, not only as a Christian, but also as a minister, because I was getting, in my heart, I I was responding at that point in my life to my call to be a preacher. And um, we were talking about baptism, and I told him, I said, you know, I really feel like I got cheated. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, when I was a baby, I didn't have any choice in the matter. I mean, I'm not saying that I, I'm sorry my parents baptized me, but I just, that wasn't mine. And the second time, and the third time, was um, <clears throat> not my choice either. I was told by some preacher that I had to be baptized, and so I did it in obedience. But he didn't give me any instruction ahead of time. I didn't know why I was being baptized. I didn't know what the significance of baptism, baptism was. I just knew that that's what I was supposed to do, because when you get saved, you get baptized. And so my father-in-law gave me instruction on what baptism is, and then he offered to baptize me again. And so I was baptized the fourth time, but that was the one that I hold the dearest, because that was the one where I made a decision. that I, And I was already a Christian. I had been a Christian for years by that point. But it was important to me to do it. Now, people have asked me through the years, and and I even to this day, if someone asks me the question that I'm about to present to you, I really don't have a sound or a good answer to give. But if someone were to come up to you and say, why? Why did you get baptized? 
why should you be baptized? Should I be baptized? Okay, A new Christian or someone who's sorting things out for themselves. And I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to think for just a second. If someone came up to you and said, Are you, have you been baptized? And you said, yes. And then if they said to you, why did you choose to get baptized? What would you say to them? Don't say it out loud. Just think about it. See, one of the things, one of the things that, um, that I would give in an answer, and this is a biblical answer, is because I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus was baptized. And Jesus said the last command that he gave was, go make disciples of all the world, baptizing them. So if for no other reason, I should be baptized because Jesus commands it. But then the question is, what happens? What's the significance? Why is it important? Because theologically, didn't my first baptism take? Didn't my second and third baptism take? Why did I have to be baptized the fourth time? Did I need to be baptized the fourth time? Or was that just to make me feel good? What theologically was important about that last one for me? Why did I feel so impelled? You see, if you, if you talk about sacraments, and, and sacraments is a theological term which basically means an outward sign, an outward physical sign of what God the Holy Spirit is doing inside. Okay, Sacrament means an outward expression of an inward grace. Okay, So in the Church of the Nazarene, we hold two sacraments, baptism, communion. Those two signs represent God the Holy Spirit doing something in me. What? And the other thing is, I get to do this all the time. Not every week. But in our church, we do it 12 to 15 to 20 times a year. Some churches do it every week. Some churches do it only once a year. I just, but the reality is, of course, the, across the course of your life, you're going to get to take communion multiple times. Normally, you're baptized once. So you want it to be right. You want it to, you want to do it for the right reason. And so, what is it? What is this inward grace that's going on? Well, go back. Somebody, if you can, real quick, turn back to the Matthew part. What did Jesus say to John when John... Con- con- and the reason I'm not going back is I already have my notes set up here and I don't want to lose them on my screen. So if somebody could read that for me. The Matthew portion about, about Jesus' baptism. Was it 124 or 129 or something like that? He said, John, John was, was uh, saying, no, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said something about, no, we need to do this so that all righteousness, blah, blah, blah. I don't have it written down, so I don't... Oh. For thus it is 
It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What was Jesus saying there? It is fitting for us, John and Jesus, to fulfill all righteousness. I don't know that we would have time this morning to go that deep into what all this means. But apparently, it is something that demonstrates, exemplifies righteousness. And if you go back to earlier teaching, what does righteousness mean? Being in right relationship with God. So it is fitting that we should do this to fulfill having a right relationship with God. So if if indeed that is a I don't want to say true statement, because it is a true statement, but, it, but if I'm going to say that that's part of what I believe, part of my belief system, then as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, as a father of the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to fulfill my right relationship with God, I need to be baptized. Now, I wish that that short, fat preacher had said that to me. Instead of just saying, well, you got saved, so you got to get baptized. But if he had said to me, in order that you will complete or fulfill the requirements of having a right relationship with God, you need to be baptized. Why? Because it is an evidence to the world of your alignment of your life with God. Now, in our culture, it's really not that big of a deal. But think about if you were a citizen of Iran today. Or Iraq today. Or any place else where Sharia law was in place. It would be a pretty stinking big deal for you to go under the baptismal waters in public. Aligning yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we got it easy on the western part of the world. You can get baptized four times and nobody bats an eye. But if it was significant enough that you were literally putting your life on the line by doing it, you'd think long and hard before you did it. But it is right that we should do so to fulfill all the requirements of righteousness. We don't fully understand as human beings why. We just know that it's commanded. And according to this Matthew passage, it fulfills something about our relationship with God. Another point that I wanted to bring out was this. If you turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. Now the disciples there are talking are followers of Jesus. He found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, No, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Then he said, Well then, into what were you baptized? And they answered, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, 
that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were then baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about twelve. This is the other thing that we need to recognize in this. And it's exemplified in Jesus' baptismal story as well. Every single one of the baptism stories in Jesus says the heavens were torn open, the Holy Spirit of God came in the form of a dove and alighted on Jesus, and a voice from heaven proclaimed, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And although this is Jesus' baptism, I'm going to stretch it just a little bit and say, I think we can see the same thing happening in each one of our baptisms. Maybe not a literal rending of the heavens, but a voice of God declaring to my soul, you are my child. We are in right relationship. We are in fellowship. And as my child, you have the rights and privileges of a child of God. So we have an assurance. We have a confidence. We can stand and say, thus says the Lord. Not because of any of my righteousness or because of my power or my strength. But I have God himself in my corner. We talked about it in Sunday school talking about being a child of God, having God as your high priest. And I even talked about the scene in the, in the movie, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Lucy is standing at the edge of the bridge, and she has her little sword, her little knife, that's been given to her, and the enemy's on the other side of the bridge, and she doesn't know it, but Aslan's right behind her. And she stands there at the edge of that bridge, defending the bridge, and she raises her knife, and she's scared to death, and the enemy's like, Oh, and they start backing up, and then the camera pulls back, and you see that it's not just Lucy standing there, but Aslan's behind her going, and Lucy's like, cool, it worked. But the reality was, Aslan, the Christ figure, was standing right there with her against the enemy that she was facing. And that's the assurance that you can have, knowing that you're a child of the king. In addition to this voice of God speaking to you in your baptismal experience, it says the Holy Spirit of God descended and came on Jesus. Paul in Acts says, have you received the Holy Spirit? Not, did you know there was such a thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you can get tongues and a whole bunch of other good stuff? No. Not what he said. He was talking to them as if it was just a normal everyday thing. Well, he said, I, 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 I'm wondering, did you get the Holy Spirit? Because apparently there was something in the interaction between Paul and these followers that wasn't clicking. Apparently he could sense in his spirit that there was a lacking somehow, some way. Because otherwise, why would he have asked the question? If he wasn't seeing the evidence, then 
That was why, as the minister, as the evangelist, he was bringing them to the fresh revelation, the new, newest chapter, if you will, in the story of God with man. See, I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but I've met people who say they're Christ followers, and there ain't no witness in my spirit that they're a follower of Jesus Christ. I've been in places around the world where I've met people that I knew they were brother and sister before words were even spoken. Because it was my spirit identifying with the... It was the Jesus in me responding to the Jesus in them. The Holy Spirit in me responding to the Holy Spirit in them. Nothing had been said, but I knew that they were a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ because our spirits were speaking one to another. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's an amazing thing to be able to do that, to know that. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. And Paul somehow, some way, was going, hmm, not sense in this here. What's going on? Have you been baptized? Well, yeah. Well, what baptism were you baptized in? The baptism of John, of course. Oh, well, that makes sense now. What do you mean it makes sense? Well, let me, let me help you understand. See, John came as the forerunner to the Messiah. And John was proclaiming a baptism, of course, that was real. It was a baptism of, of getting your heart right before God to prepare for the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah. You were baptiz, baptized into this mindset of this attitude of repentance from your past sins so that you could be ready for the coming of the Messiah. But that wasn't all there was. What do you mean? The Messiah has come. His name is Yeshua. And if you will believe in him and put your trust in him and, and adhere to him and start following his teachings, he will give you power to live a life of righteousness before the world and in right relationship with God the Father. And so they came to a knowledge of faith, a faithful knowledge and a, a saving knowledge, if you will. And at that point, he then baptized them in the name of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit of God came on them. And it says that they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. And we could get into that part of it later. We don't have time this morning to talk about what that meant and why that was included in this part of Scripture. But the point is, the same Holy Spirit of God that came on Peter and the disciples in that initial 3,000, excuse me, the Peter and the disciples in the 120 in the room on Acts chapter 2, then in later in chapter 2, where the 3,000 received the baptism, and, to, and speaking in tongues. And then later on, um, Cornelius in chapter 10 receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And now Acts chapter 19, it's the same evidence so that they all received exactly the same thing. But it was done at the initial point of coming in contact with God. When we were talking about it this morning in, in our worship team practice, Elsie said, yeah, you don't get the Holy Spirit, Junior. There is no Holy Spirit. There is no Holy Spirit Junior. In other words... Like Monopoly Junior? Yeah, you don't get part of the Holy Spirit when you get saved and then you get the rest of the Holy Spirit when you get entirely sanctified. You get the whole Holy Spirit of God when you come into right relationship with God. When you get baptized, the Spirit of God comes on you. All that there is. And again, we don't have time to talk about what then the entire sanctification is. That's something for another sermon. But the reality is when I come into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven, I'm a child of God, I am made a new creature, I receive the power of the Holy Spirit right here to not only purify me, but also to give me the strength to live the life that God is calling me to live before the world. And I show the world that all of that is taking place inside of me by allowing my body to be placed in water. And there's the, the ritual, if you will, of Dying to myself and being raised to newness of life. 
That's what baptism is. That's what Jesus demonstrated for us. He was already in right relationship with God. He was already filled with the Holy Spirit. But as a human being, he said, it is right that we should do this to fulfill all righteousness. Because he was living a life of example before the world to show us how human beings should live before God. So it wasn't that Jesus had to be baptized so that he could become a follower of Jesus, as Schuyler said. He was fulfilling the righteousness that all human beings need to do. And so what I want you to do this morning is I want you to be thinking about what your baptismal experience was and what it has meant to you through the years. And how has God intersected with your life? Have you fully received all that God is? Have you walked in that relationship of righteousness from that day until now? And if so, celebrate it. Glory to God. I've seen his power in my life. I've seen the quiet times where he's always been with me. And the evidence of my relationship with God comes out in what we understand from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, is the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those things become the evidence to the world that the Holy Spirit of God is in us. I think that's probably what Paul was looking for in those people in Ephesus back in Acts chapter 19, and maybe not quite seeing. But the bottom line for us this morning is this. Are you in right relationship with God? Most of you should be because you raised your hand and said you were baptized. If you're not, get there. If you've strayed, come back. If you've never been baptized, talk to me. I'll be glad to baptize you. If you would like to be baptized a seventh time, I'm okay with that. There's no magic in it that's going to make you a Christian. I believe you're still a Christian today. But if it's something that God is calling you to because something needs to be solidified in who you are, that's okay. I'll do it. But I want you to make sure that you understand you're a child of a God who loves you. And he is in your corner. And he is fighting the battle with you. And he empowers you. And he draws you. And he protects you. He's your shepherd. He is your Jehovah Tzavah, the God of heaven's armies. And as we close out this time, we're going to take some communion, but as we close out this time, I want to leave you with a thought for further discussion. We're not going to have our community group tonight to talk about it, but we are going to, I'm going to leave it with you so you can chew on it for a while, and you can come back to me later and we can talk. <clears throat> In this part of Acts chapter 19... It says, he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. But in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, 20, and 21, or something like that, it says, go out and make disciples of all the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why the two different instructions? Why the two different things? Is it being baptized into the name of Jesus? Is it to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Or does it all mean the same thing? Think about that. Chew on it for a while. It gives you something to, to relate to. Let's pray.